Praise the Lord. It's wonderful to be here today, isn't it? Amen. Amen. It's so good to see the the chapel full today. And I know that you just didn't bring your your person, but you brought your expectation and uh, your love for the people and the love for the word. So I know that God's going to have his way today. Uh, If we could turn in our Bibles to Ruth chapter 3. And then while you're uh, turning there in your Bibles, we want to just reciprocate our gratitude to um, your pastor and Sister Ruth for the love they showed our family, for the vision that he has, and just for the, the great blessing. They've been to the body of Christ around the world, and just also our love for Brother Tom and Sister Joanne, the friendship that we share, um, and the strength that they've been to Sister Elizabeth and I, and then we could just keep going on and on to the different ones that help and assist in the ministry uh, locally here with Brother John and Brother, uh, Brother Tim Dodd. And uh, so many, I could probably just start naming them that uh, I definitely would run out of of, uh, you know, I, my memory wouldn't remember everybody and then I would start feeling really nervous. But um, and I'm already so nervous that I, I feel like almost sick to my stomach. So that's why Brother Tom was saying, hey, you're amongst family. Just and then when you say family, I start getting even more nervous because you don't know my family. Um, but uh, we uh, we're just so happy to be here. and We love each one of you and everyone that assists and labors in the ministry, the, the supporting ministry behind the role and those that get behind the pastoral leadership are very, very important. And you look at what takes place in a weekend like this, you know it's not just one man, um, but it's just the Lord working through the body, bringing all these things together. And we're glad that we can be a part of it. And we bring greetings to you from our church back home in Texas. They send their love and greetings to you and special greetings from Brother David and Sister Leslie to each one of you. Um, they send their greetings. And uh, my, uh, I've been told not to do this time and time again by him, but my son Preston is celebrating his birthday today. So happy birthday, Preston. He's turning nine years old. And so for the Canadians, I think that's like 11.97. Or do you only do that for currency? Oh, okay. We Americans. Ruth chapter three. I want to read verses seven and eight, or excuse me, seven to nine only, and then we'll back up and just go through uh, more of this. I have feel so directed to preach this and it's so real to me and I couldn't get away from it that I actually, uh, part of me believes I've already preached it here. And um, this, I think maybe the 30th sermon I've preached here. So it's possible that I have, but I feel so strongly led to minister this, that it feels as if it's already been preached. And so I trust that you can help me this morning deliver the burden that's on my heart. Ruth chapter 3, verses 7, 8, and 9. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn. And she came softly, speaking about Ruth, she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight that she was, a, that he was, a, that the man was afraid and turned himself and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thy handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. He said, who are you? And she said, I am Ruth, thy handmaid. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful to be gathered together in your presence today. Lord, we realize we would not be here if it was not for your grace. And that we owe everything to you. We're nothing without you. Lord, we're coming to a greater revelation of dependency to the extent that we feel as if there's nothing we can do without you. There's nothing we would want to do without you. 
Lord, we're coming to a place to where there's nothing in your will that we fear and there's nothing out of your will we want. So today, Father, we just lay aside anything outside of your purpose and your will. We disregard it now at this moment and we focus solely upon you that you would take the word and bless it to our hearts and speak to us in a tremendous way. Lord, I know that there's many more that have gathered today, but my heart is directed to these young people. And though some may be behind me and others in front of me, I pray that the young people would realize this is still their service. This is still their camp. This is still their moment and that you're speaking to them. And if the themes seem to be uh, in a different way and they seem to be uh, maybe one step separated from what they would expect in a youth service, may they realize it's you speaking to them these things. That it is for this generation, for these young people, 12 to 22, they have every right to take the book and eat it. And may they be inspired, Lord, by the message of the hour. May they be inspired to lay in the word of God and be a generation that embraces every promise. So we commit it to you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And then you may be seated. <clears throat> We've been asking the question, who are you? And that's been the theme of the services thus far. And uh, as we began, we spoke to the uh, to you young people about how you were born into chaos and then even how chaos has been born into you. But God put something in you to identify with him. And I believe that God has dealt very profoundly with your hearts. That what has transpired has been an inward work and not an outward one. And therefore, since it has been inward here, we'll see it outward there. And there will be a change that will be witnessed within your home life, within the other relationships that you share. And I want you today, just even this morning as we minister, to think about what he's done for you. And think about what you pondered on, the things you pondered on even last night. And how you felt that he had done something very deep for you. And as we're, as we give our title for this morning, the, the title has been, Who Are You? with the subtitle. When somebody asks, Who are you? you, you answer, your answer would begin with, I am. When someone says, Who are you? you would say, I am. And I have, uh, titled my message, uh, this morning, I am, but I've used all capital letters for, for a reason. And I want to use the book of Ruth to show you the I am that's in you. And it's important for you to recognize this. When I say you, I'm speaking to the young people and, and the adults. Uh, don't change what's been taking place here. Just get behind it and help us out because we've been having a good time the last few days. And so we're just expecting that your addition will just take it up a notch. And so get behind these young people. Get behind the word of the Lord and, and uh, let's just take it a step higher. But you are not just a sinner that was not just a saved sinner. There is a... Uh, an interpretation of the scripture that places all humanity on the basis that everyone is a sinner and that they of their own volition accept Calvary. And in doing so and accepting the sacrifice, they become saved sinners. And so we're just all, uh, all degenerate humans who are sinners and therefore confessing Christ as our savior. We all become saved sinners. But that narrow uh, interpretation of scripture denies or at least ignores the fact that God gave himself for a specific group of people. And that God has a specific love for you. The Bible tells us that um, that Jesus, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. So for God so loved the world, he gave his son. But then John says, love not the world. For if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. So it begs the question, what world did God love? 
Because we're told not to love the world, but yet God so loved the world. The world that God loved was the one that you were represented in, in that perfect Eden in the beginning. Where there was a masterpiece family in Eden, in a perfect Eden. That's the world that God loved and you were represented in there. And so God so loved the world, the world which you are a part of, the world that you are facing the completion of, that you are the climax of, those original seeds sown in the beginning. God has a specific love for you. And I want to bring it through the book of Ruth. And Brother Branham says when he preaches Kinsman Redeemer, he said this book of Ruth was one of the outstanding books that they accepted. Why, if it's just a love story, why would the writers and ancient sages accept this book as inspired? Because there's a hidden revelation in it. And in this hidden revelation, you catch the real meaning and it'll bring you real close to God. It's a revelation in Ruth, and I'm certainly not going to attempt to bring it out as Brother Branham did, where he brings out the real meaning and the hidden revelation of the sermon, Kinsman Redeemer. But here's our prophet saying that there's a hidden revelation in the book of Ruth that when you catch it, it brings you close, real close to God. He says, and I pray my whole soul this morning that God will catch every heart so spellbound till he'll reveal himself just what he is in this story and what he is to you and how to accept him. And when you once see it, it's so simple, you'll wonder how you ever went over the top of it. But it can only be revealed by the Holy Spirit. It's my desire as I go through this story and these different scriptures that the Lord's impressed upon my heart, that God's love for you would be revealed. That he would reveal to you his love, how deep it is, and that you would be able to see yourself in the word of God and that you would fall more in love with him. In this service, that's my desire, that his love would be revealed to you, that you would see yourself fall more deeply in love with him. And it is not incorrect for you to view the written scripture and the revealed word as being for your benefit and for your for your specific use. In other words, all the word that has ever been given was given to bring the bride in the last days to rapturing faith. Every type, every shadow, every verse, everything that's transpired from the very beginning, every book that was written, even the revelation of the seven church ages and even the revelation of the seven seals, every scripture, every story, every testimony. If I could say every prayer line, every supernatural manifestation that God has done in fulfilling his word of God has been for the specific purpose of bringing a bride to rapturing faith in the end time. And we ought to be able to look into the scripture and see that every story, every type is for me to see who I am in God's love for me. And Brother Branham is so specific to say that happens so that the bride, so that it would be given as a type of the bride. And this happens so that the bride could look back and see. And you of everybody have the benefit of looking back and seeing everything through the Bible and even through the church ages. And it's all been for the purpose of bringing a bride into her position and the image that God saw her in. And the book of Ruth, it begins uh, with a really dark way. It begins with famine and death. And it's a very, you could take time to kind of go through it, just how chaotic it would seem at the beginning. But just uh, to perhaps move along a little bit quicker this morning. And uh, I've been told that I have to at least until uh, 2 o'clock, and I don't know how much time that actually gives me. I don't know how, how long I'm going to be. My children always ask me, Dad, are you going to be long? And I always say yes. So no matter how long I preach to them, it's long. So they might have a different interpretation along than you do. But Ruth was a Gentile. We understand that. We could look into the scripture and understand that she is a Gentile widow. And after her husband had died and even her father-in-law had died, 
She makes a choice to leave Moab. We see that the uh, um, Naomi's family had gone to Moab. Her sons had joined themselves to a Moabite women. Ruth being a Gentile and a Moabite, she her husband dies and passes away. And you could see in this type that Ruth leaving Moab, which was the land of Lot's descendants, it's a type of your leaving the world. It's a type of your leaving Sodom and, and to come to Christ, to leave what's familiar to you, to leave the place of your natural birth and come, come to Christ. So we could see just in the very beginning of this, the death and the famine and the, and the sorrow that she'd experienced and the things that are transpiring in her life that she makes this decision, um, to, to follow, to follow Naomi. And if you read it, there's in the scripture, they actually say, well, you go, Naomi, you're going to go and we'll stay, but something turns in her heart. And uh, Ruth's sister goes back to Moab and Ruth's Naomi says, behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back into her people and under her gods return thou after thy sister-in-law. So she's being compelled to go back. And that would be the logical choice. Here you have family, here you have comforts, here you have laws to protect you and you have an inheritance and there's things that you can avail yourself to to make it through life and it makes more sense that you would remain behind. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee or return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people and thy God my God. She is, she is actually testifying to a complete and total identity change. She, she is disavowing any, uh, any idea, I, uh, identity she has in Moab. And she says, I'm willing to change everything. I'm willing to be identified with your people. I'm willing to be identified with your God. So much that she says, where thou diest, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me. And when she says the Lord, she's speaking of the one true God. And more also, if aught but death part thee and me. And it says, Naomi said, when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she stopped arguing with her. And I believe that young people are steadfastly minded. That even your hearts have been turned this weekend and you're, you've come into your right mind and now you're steadfastly minded that Lord, I, I'm launching a complete identity change. I have a new identity and I'm finding it in your word. I'm finding it in the message of the hour. And Ruth didn't understand all the implications. She could say, I'm willing to leave Moab behind. I'm willing for your people to become my people. I'm willing for your God to be my God. And she didn't understand and know what the future held, but she was following something that was put in her heart. Even perhaps you could, as you read it, it seems as if maybe she would have stayed behind. But now there's something in her heart that's quickened. And she says, no, I don't want to go back. And even as she sees her sister-in-law go back and she might have found great comfort in her sister-in-law. And there might have been a lot of things that she had in common with her. And she could have said, well, this makes sense. And I'll just stay back here. And there's certain things they would have had there. But yet something all of a sudden arises up in her heart. And she says, no, don't tell me to go back. I want to follow you. And she didn't know what the future would hold. She didn't know what it meant to go to Israel but yet something in her heart rose up within her and she focused on that and she said I'll go and I know young people you don't know what the future holds you don't know what all the implications are of committing your heart to God and this change that he's begun in you you may not know the next step but you know that you've made up your mind you don't know what it's going to be like in school tomorrow you don't know what it's going to be said amongst your associates and your friends and your family but you know that you have a made up mind and I'm going to serve God and I'm going to go this direction and you know that there's going to be difficulty you know that you're going to be challenged but you're just steadfastly minded and that may all be, that may all that you know and then in Ruth chapter 1 verse 22 it says so Naomi returned 
and Ruth the Moabitess. And so this is her identity as she begins to come back. She's just known as Ruth the Moabite. She's the Moabitess. She's a Moabite woman, her daughter-in-law with her. Which returned out of the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. So you can already begin to see what a beautiful type it is for you that as God calls you out of Sodom and he's called you out of the world, you haven't just been called out in any season, but you've been called out in the harvest season. And as Ruth came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest, it was in Aviv time. It was the time of the Exodus. It was at the time of the Passover. It was during the offering of the first fruits, which we know is represented a foreshadowing of the resurrection. So she hadn't just come in any other time, but she came in the harvest time. She came in a time where there was the Passover had come, where there was the offering of the first fruits, which was foreshadowing the resurrection. And you haven't come at just any time. What a resurrection that was. What a resurrection this is. You've come at the harvest time. And what drew Naomi and Ruth back to Israel was the hope of redemption. There was no redemption in Moab. There was no redemption uh, to them in the land that they were in. And they had heard, as the Bible says uh, in in Ruth chapter 1 verse 6, it says, And she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. That during a time of famine, where there was a famine for the hearing of the word, where there was a famine of, of God making himself known, she had heard that God was visiting the people. And so they're drawn back because of the visitation of God. And they had heard how the, the Lord was blessing her people. So they come back for the purpose of partaking in that bread. And there was the hope of redemption where Israel was. And for you young people, we know it. And it, it serves being told there's no redemption in the world. But in the word, in this message, there is redemption. And so as you read the story in Ruth chapter 2, Ruth is going to come and she's going to glean in fields as a widow would. And she's going to do it in the hopes of finding grace and finding provision to give them bread, her and Naomi bread that they can live by. And as you read the story in chapter 2, you can see that it says that Naomi had a kinsman of her husband. And that this man with name was Boaz, but the story is written in a way to tell us beforehand that there was a redeemer. And so even Naomi would have known who the redeem, that there was a redeemer that could redeem her. But Ruth, and Ruth may have known this. Naomi may have told her, look, there's a man there that could redeem us. And so Ruth would have known that there was a redeemer. But as the scripture unfolds and tells us that when she went to go glean from the field, she didn't know that she had entered into Boaz's field. The Bible says in Ruth chapter 2 verse 3 that she just happened. So Naomi didn't say, now Boaz is here and this is where you want to go. This is what you want to do. She just came with a thirst. She came with a desire. She came with a need. They left where there was a famine. They came where God was giving bread. They came where God was visiting the people. And she just came in an, to, 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 to glean and to take something that she could live by. And it says that she just happened in the field of Boaz. And it says in Ruth chapter 2 verse 4, as here she is in this field. It says, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. So she comes to this field. She just happens in this field. She's just there in the field gleaning. And then Boaz comes to the field. And in this, you can begin to see the very type of what God's done in our day. The very mystery of the coming of the Son of Man unfolding in the book of Ruth. 
And when he comes and after he gives his greetings, the very first thing that is on his mind and in his heart is he's drawn to a woman. And what Boaz says, and to me, it's just such a beautiful type of what the Lord did in this hour. When the Lord himself descends with the shout, when the mighty angel comes down out of heaven with the book open, his focus and his desires to his wife. Just like those angels, when they visited Abraham, they come and the question, the question that they have is, where is your wife? And they want to know where Sarah is because it's in that season that the woman's coming into view. And though all three had the question, where's your wife? Only one had a message for her. And only one had a message for Sarah. And you see the same now that as Boaz comes to the field, he says, whose damsel is this? Of all the women, he's drawn to her. She wasn't the only one, but there was one that caught his attention. So as Boaz comes to the field in the harvest time, his attention is drawn to Ruth. So Ruth is in the field and the Lord of the harvest appears. Boaz comes. Now Ruth didn't know who he was just yet. But Boaz is asking about her. And he even knew who she was. They said, well, this is Ruth the Moabitess. And when he begins to talk to Ruth, she begins to he says, I know about you. And so now Ruth meets Boaz in the field. In that, you can see a beautiful type of how Rebecca was brought to Isaac in the field. And Isaac had come from the well of, uh, of, the, of seeing him. And he comes from the well and he comes down and he's in the field in the evening time. And this one that Rebecca had heard all about, she says, who is this man? Who is this one? And the servant says, that's your Isaac. And at that, she jumped off the camel. At that, she went to run to meet him in the field in the evening time. There's so many beautiful types of this union and this marriage that you could bring through Ruth. And it says in Ruth chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Listen to me. Hear what I have to say. And he says, Go not to glean in another field. Neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on a field that they do uh, do reap. And go thou after them. Stay in my field. Don't go to any other else, any other field. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art a thirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. He's saying, stay in this field. Don't go to any other field. Drink what's being served. Eat what's being uh, what's being provided. There's no need to go anywhere else. And that's the same thing. That's the message we heard when we came to this. Don't go to any other field. Don't go to any other source. There is no other field. Stay in the message. Don't leave it. Your provisions here. This is where this is where God's going to feed you. This is where God's going to sustain you. Young people, there's not another field out there where there's provision for you. You won't find it in any other move, any other organization, any other ideology, any other thought. No other, no other discipline or science. Stay in the message. That was Boaz's message to her. Look, you may see other gleaners. You may see other fields. But stay in this field. He says, have I not commanded my servants to take care of you? And God has commanded a ministry to take care of you and to serve to you the unfailing body word of the Son of Man. God's servants will feed you and they will guide you with the word. And so Ruth actually comes back that day with quite a quite a big haul. And she has so much that when Naomi sees her, she realizes uh, this is more than perhaps a gleaner should have. And her mother-in-law said unto her, where hast thou gleaned today and where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. 
And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought. And she said, the man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. Now, Ruth doesn't understand what's happening. She's just saying, hey, well, this I got all this from a man named Boaz. Ruth didn't have the full revelation. Ruth just happened in the field of Boaz. But Naomi, which we could say would be the word, even a representative of the scripture, that she had the revelation. She knew who the near kinsman was. And she knew who this one was that could redeem him. Because then Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, blessed be the Lord. Blessed be he of the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, the man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. So now the, it's, it begins to dawn on, uh, on Naomi. And now even the revelation begins to break upon Ruth. This just wasn't any field. This just wasn't another move. This just wasn't another way of viewing the scripture. This wasn't just another interpretation. This just wasn't something else to kind of help them through life. This just wasn't any man. This was just not any field. This was their redeemer's field. She said, oh, someone was kind to me and I found a church family and I, I found a place I could fellowship. She says, no, no, this, this is the revelation that came to Ruth that evening. It wasn't just any field. It was the field. It wasn't just any man. It was the man. And listen, maybe some of the parents could get behind this a little bit more. Many of us came to the message. And it was feeding us. And it was sustaining us. And we were living by it. And we were enjoying it. But then one day the revelation came to us. It wasn't just a son of man. It was the son of man being revealed. It wasn't just a prophet restoring certain things and tying up loose ends. But we realized this was Christ. It wasn't just another move. It wasn't just another cycle. But it was Christ himself being revealed. And it's that revelation that awaits you, young people. That's what begins to dawn on you who have come to a place of a birth this weekend as you followed your heart and you've met this one in the field. Now the revelation of his love for you and his purpose for you will continue to unfold from here. You think it's good this weekend. It gets better. You think it's wonderful to know him in the forgiveness of sins. Watch just how beautiful it becomes when you realize his specific love for you and how he has a passion for you and how he's has the he made the promise he would never leave you or forsake you. And some of you thought he probably gave up on you, but he came in such a sovereign way this week where you realize, nope, he hasn't. He loves me. He's not going to stop. He's going to pursue me. Oh, it's going to be beautiful to walk with him. And so in Ruth chapter three, Naomi instructs her daughter-in-law. To do something very, very odd, we could say. We even, uh, believe it or not, in law school, we actually studied this chapter a little bit. And uh, that's kind of neat. I didn't get any of this from law school. Let's put it that way. Uh, this, came, this comes right from the message of the hour. But Ruth comes to Boaz on the threshing floor. And there was something hidden in her heart driving her to pursue this Redeemer. There was something in her that brought her to that place, coming to this threshing floor. She wasn't satisfied. She wasn't going to be satisfied with the cycle of a harvest in winter, a planting, a harvesting in a winter. She could have done that. She could have just said, as a widow, with this provision, with this field, we can just always come and find a place. 
where we can feed and we can always find a place where there's going to be enough provision. But she wasn't satisfied with the cycle. She wanted full redemption. So she wasn't just happy with the place where she could go to church. She wanted fullness. And it's an imposing thing to come to the threshing floor. The image of a threshing floor is where something is trodden under. Something is separated. It's where the chaff is separated from seed. And so Ruth was coming to the threshing floor. So it's going to be a separating time. It's going to be a moment of truth for her. And I could only say it this way because the connection may not seem very clear to you. And many times God does things and says things and directs us in a way. And we might want to see how it all connects and how it all ties together. But you just obey the Lord. And God speaks to my heart. He says, go right to the prodigal son here. Because as Ruth came to the threshing floor and it was a moment of truth. The prodigal son was one who likewise also had of his own volition experienced great calamity. And he had actually taken his inheritance and wasted it. Taken everything that his parents taught him. Every virtue that the token had preserved. Everything that he was told not to do and everything he was told to keep and to save and wait till the appropriate time to share that with one you love. All the things that you could talk about that we could make type to us in the message as young people. He seemingly wasted it all away to where now the great privilege of being raised in that home he had squandered it. And he was just like anybody else. And the scripture tells us that when he had spent all, now there's a famine in the land and he had to, he came into need and he needed to be fed and out of desperation. It says he joined himself as a citizen to that country. So now he becomes an indentured servant, as it were, to someone as a foreigner and as a stranger. And he gets sent into the field to feed pigs. And he gets to a place where now he's wanting to eat the pig's food. Because he's not being fed food that's on the table of those of that land. They're going to look after their own first. So now he has to fend for himself. And listen, that's how the world's going to treat you anyhow. But now he's going to fill his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And it's in that moment of desperation and that moment of despair. The Bible says when he came to himself. When he came to himself. And that's, and that's a moment you, know, you young people had this week. You came to yourself. You're a stranger in a foreign land. You've joined yourself to ideas of a land. You've been wasting your inheritance. There's all many different things taking place. But now when he came to himself, I remember pondering at one time how that what could have it been? What could have it been that caused him to come to himself? And I wonder if he didn't happen to be eating husk by a trough as he began to look into the water. He saw a reflection that reminded him of his father. And he saw in his, he saw in his own face the eyes of his father. He saw in his visage the one that loved him, the one that had given him that inheritance. And in that moment when he came to himself, you could see that he was in his right mind, that something had transpired in his heart that's different than the one we saw before. He had arrogantly and foolishly wasted his inheritance. Give it to me. I can handle it. And he'd wasted it. But now when he comes to himself, he says, my father has hired servants that have bread and I'm dying of hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say unto him. Now, this is what he doesn't say. You know, I'm your son. So I need some money. Take care of me. I know I wasted it, but he doesn't do it. He comes in such a humble way. He says, I will go to him and said, I've sinned against heaven and before thee and am no longer worthy to be called thy son. That's how you can see he was in his right mind. 
That's how you could see he had come to who he really was. He had come to himself. Before, when he took everything and wasted it, he didn't know who he was. He was arrogant. He was foolish. He was full of pride. But now broken and comes to this place of recognition. When he came to himself, he felt like, I'm a sinner. I'm unworthy. I'll go to him and say, I'm not worthy to be called thy son. Just let me be a servant in your field. So he rose and he came to his father. Oh, this is the beautiful part of the story. When he was yet a great way off. Think of how far away you felt, young people. Some of you felt like it was so distant. You felt like you were going the other way. And and this may have been your last chance. And here you are. You're just on your last chance. This is my last one, mom and dad, before I leave the message. This is it. And as you're, as you're taking your last steps, you just stop long enough to look back and someone comes running down a dusty road for you. And he says when he was a great way off, his father saw him and he had compassion and he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the father's demonstrating such a forgiveness, not a rebuke. Think of that man that stood before the prophet, broken, beat, eaten up with arthritis, the condemnation. His mind keeps drifting to the blasphemy. His mind keeps drifting to the sexual troubles. His mind keeps drifting to everything he's wasted, everything he's done. And the prophet says, look this way, look this way. And finally, he just looks at him and he says, let me just pray for you. And maybe expecting a rebuke, maybe expecting to be told it's too late. He just prays for him and says, let the troubles leave as the clouds disappearing before the sun. And the sun is coming. I'm going to have to get humble. I'm going to have to stay humble. He's going to get a hold of me. He's going to rebuke me. He's going to get on to me. He's going to, oh, I know he's going to do it. I know he's going to do it. And then he comes and his father shows no judgment, no condemnation, but compassion. Not a spank, but a kiss. Not a shove, but a hug. And you can tell he's in his right mind because now that doesn't embolden him. Oh, he loves me. I can do whatever I want. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants. He doesn't say, oh, my son's come to be one of you. I'm not worthy to be called thy son. Well, good, because I've got a spot for you with my servants. This is the boss of the servants. Talk to him. He'll find a place for you to live and he'll portion out your meat. But no, he turns to his servants. He says, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they begin to be merry. What a, it's a story of redemption. That's what Ruth was coming to on the threshing floor. This was going to be a moment of truth for her. This was make or break. Was she just a servant in the field or was she going to be more? And maybe you thought, maybe I could just come and find forgiveness. Maybe I could come and just experience some relief. But God said, no, I don't want you to just feel relief. I don't want you just to feel forgiveness. I want you to feel my love, my justifying love. I noticed what the father's attitude was to his servants. Go, get the best and give it to them. And listen. And there's always a son somewhere or daughter that gets a little bit upset and offended. Don't begrudge them, parents. You other young people, counselors, whoever we are, servants of the Lord. Don't begrudge any young person that's trying. I don't care if they've had 35 camps and by some way of a miracle, there's a camper here who's done it 35 times. If they've been in 11 winter camps, which I guess it would be possible. 
almost right around there, 12 to 22. There might be some who've been at most of them. I don't care if they've done it for the last 10 years. Don't be the one that's sitting back saying, well, we know what happens next. Don't be that one. Don't be that one that begrudges these young people when they begin to experience their revival. And so as Ruth comes to the threshing floor, if she's chaff, she's going to find out. But we can know the story. Whatever chaff was in Ruth's life is going to be driven away that night. Whatever husk there was, her past, her former identity was going to be dealt with. Her true identity is going to manifest. Was she just a widow? Was she just a foreigner? But what's revealed on the threshing floor and what unfolds thereafter holds a type of who you are. When she came, she was Ruth the Moabitess. But when she leaves, she won't be Ruth the Moabitess anymore. Because as she comes to the threshing floor, it brings a separation from all the other women. It it brings a separation from all the other husbands. And this message, when you come to the threshing floor, it's what separates you from the rest. And there's a revelation which I believe comes to the true believer in this message. It's one of the great mysteries of the message, if not the mystery in the message, is it comes to a revelation of who you are. And that you're not like all the other women. That there's been many churches, churches, brides, brides, but there must come one. And Brother Branham says in the message, the seed is not air with the shuck. He says, there's got to be something that cannot be denominated. It's the entirety of the life that's in there that has to produce itself again on a bride. So there was the entirety of the life in Jesus Christ. Now he's saying it has to produce itself again in a bride. And he talks about the progression through Luther, Wesley and Pentecost. And he talks about Pentecost being the restoration of the gifts. He says, but they denominated. And, this, and it comes to a place where this is, we're talking about who you are. He said, but when you come to say, I and my father are one and these other things. When you're coming to say that your identity is with the father. When you come to say that you have oneness with the father. Listen, oneness and fullness is controversial. And when you come to say, I and my father one in these other things, then the shock pulls away from it. It's the revelation of who you are that actually causes the shock to say, are you kidding me? You think you're the bride of Christ? You think you're the only ones? You think you're the ones with the truth? You think you're the one that he's chosen? When you come to say, I and my father are one. In John chapter 10, verses 30 to 33, Jesus said, I and my father are one. He says, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered and said, many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of these works do you stone me? And the Jews answered saying, for a good work we stone thee not. Listen, bride, as long as you're doing good works, as long as you're missionary minded, and as long as you're feeding the poor, and it looks like you're a good citizen. He said, they're, they're, the world's going to be fine with that. But for blasphemy, because that thou being a man, makest thyself God. By calling himself one with the father, he was saying that he was the fullness of God in flesh. Thou being a man, makest thyself God. That's why they wanted to stone him. 
That's when the Jews took up stones to stone Jesus Christ. And Brother Branham says, but when you come to say, I and my father are one. When who says it? When you say it. When a young daughter of God, when a young son of God begins to say, I and my father are one. When this great revelation begins to dawn on you. I'm not just a saved sinner, but I am a son of God. I've always been a son of God. The price of Calvary was specifically for me. He died for the whole field, but to get the treasure in the field. And I was his hidden treasure. When you come to say, I and my father are one and these other things, listen, young people, go find these other things. They're beautiful. Then the shuck pulls away from it. But the real genuine bride church will bring forth the entire word of God in its fullness and in its strength. For he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Who's going to bring forth the fullness? The bride. And when she brings, begins to bring that forth, it's the separating from the chaff. The seed is not air with the shuck. It's when the shuck falls away. It's where that husk peels back. It's then, as many of us can testify to, as being parents or uh, ministers in the word of God, those of you be, the, behind you young people and some that sit up here in your counselors, they could testify that when they came to the field, they were enjoying it. And they were gleaning and it was changing their lives and it was feeding them. But then one day the revelation came. This just isn't any field. This is the field. And this just wasn't a man. But this man was revealing the son of man. And then the revelation began to break that no, it wasn't just the son of man. But now it's the son of man revealing himself for an invisible union. This was the son of man come to marry me. Come to show me my true identity. And then the revelation began to unfold that the revealing of the son of man is the marriage of the bridegroom to his bride. And it is full redemption. And in Ruth chapter 3. I'm just looking at the scriptures before me and trying just to pick them out as we go. It says, as we read in our text, how Boaz had eaten and drunk and here he is laying down and it says, Ruth, she came softly. That's the way the prodigal son came back. When he came to himself, he didn't come arrogantly. He didn't come presumptuously. He came humbly, came softly. Now, Ruth is coming softly. And it says it's at midnight. At midnight, the man asked her, who are you? And Ruth answered and said, I am Ruth, thy handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. He said, blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter. For thou hast showed me more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning. Insomuch as thou followedest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest. Notice this. He asked her, who are you? And she says, I'm Ruth, thine handmaid. I'm your servant. I'm Ruth, the Moabitess. Do you remember me? And he begins to tell her, you've showed me more kindness than anyone. You've demonstrated your faithfulness. You're not interested in anything else. He says, I will do for you all that you need. Whatever you require for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. But he begins to talk about how there's one that's near. So he says in the morning. I'm going to rise up. And there's going to be a a, a challenge 
there before the elders. And there's going to be a question asked. Who's worthy? Who's able? Who's willing to redeem her? And just as the scene unfolds in Revelations 5, there was none worthy but the lamb. And so he says, I'm going to come. And we'll see if there's one who's willing to do the part of the kinsman. But if he's not willing to do the part, then I will do the part of a kinsman to thee. If he is not a true near kinsman, if he is not near to you, if he is not willing, if he's not able, then I'll be the one worthy. I'll be the one to do it. It says, as the Lord liveth, lie down till the morning. And she says that she laid on her feet till the morning. She rose up before one could know another. And he said... And the way that the dynamics of the story unfolded, he may have had one with him. And he charges maybe this other one, let it be known that a woman, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. He might have had a guard nearby, the one that would have grasped him, the one that would have been there when he was all of a sudden awakened and affrighted. He says, don't let anyone know this is a secret. And he says, he said also, bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. And she went into the city. So now here's a a woman with a past. Here's a woman from a Moabite. She's a Gentile. And now she comes after this encounter with this man. She comes into the city. And the Holy Spirit directed me to the woman at the well. And and I'm thinking, well, the way that my mind thinks, you know, I kind of want to see some more connections here. But God said, this is where you want to. This is where the story of the woman at the well comes. And it's another encounter between a man and a woman. That's another unique encounter because some look at the story of Ruth and say, hey, some funny business was taking place on the threshing floor. That this was this was an odd meeting. This is an odd exchange. This is the things, the words that are being used and this what's taking place that this could have been. He, and that's what's one thing that Boaz wrote. She's not going to blackmail me. She really just wants redemption. And, and, and that's how he saw the virtue in her. And now even Brother Branham alludes to the fact that Jesus being at the well at that time of day. Made the woman think that he was proposing to her. Like, what's this man doing? He, everybody knows this is kind of when we come out to the well. Why is this man here? Is he kind of, is he talking to me? Cause he's wanting to pick up on me. You're familiar with Brother Branham even alludes to that. It was a very odd scene. But there in John chapter four, here she is, just like Ruth came to the field because she needed grain. The woman at the well comes to well because she needs water. And she's coming just as Ruth did. Everybody knew she would, she had been someone who didn't have a redeemer. She didn't have a husband. She's there gleaning. She's one of the handmaids. She's one of the servants. She's not one who would be in a privileged household. And here she comes. Here comes this ill-famed woman where Brother Branham said that she was a teenage woman, 17 years old. He said she's in her 18th year. A 17-year-old woman who has how many husbands? And the one she's with now is not her husband? He says, probably turned out by her parents, taken the wrong road, and the morals of her life are decayed. And she comes to a natural well to draw natural water. And there's a man there. And as they begin to talk, she begins to think, my, this is an interesting conversation. And she didn't realize that the one she's talking to was the one that she needed. But he said, I've got waters that you can't draw. And she's like, well, you know, you don't have anything to draw with. What are you talking about? And he begins to speak and something begins to stir in her heart. And it begins to quicken her to a promise. We know that when the Messiah comes, because he began to tell her things that, whoa, this is, you're going into my past. How did you know these things? We know when the Messiah comes, these are things the Messiah will do. 
He'll be able to know how many husbands I've had. Know the one that I whip now is not my husband. And she is strangely stirred. And she says, and we know that when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us things. And what did he say? I am he. And the Bible says at that moment, the woman left her water pot and went her way into the city. Just as Ruth had left the threshing floor and went into the city. Now the, the, the woman at the well leaves the well and she runs into the city and said to the men, come see a man which told me all the things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? She had a revelation at the well. This just isn't any man. This is the Christ. This is the one that told me what my past was. This is the one that knew the things that I was doing. This is more than just a man. This is the Christ. And she left the encounter with the man and ran into the city. And Ruth is doing the same thing after meeting Boaz. Brother Branham said it this way. What's remarkable. He talks about it. Uh, um, I think it maybe it's in future home. He said when the priest had the encounter with Christ, he just rejected it. The pious, the religious, the holy, he sees it and he calls it Beelzebub. He sees it and he calls it a cult. He sees it and he rejects it. He walks away from it. And he said, why? Because he had nothing but darkness in his soul. Everything on the outside looked really good. But he had nothing but darkness in his soul. And then here comes an ill-famed 17-year-old. And she has got nothing but garbage and trash and filth. She's of ill repute. She's somebody that you would not talk to. And when Jesus starts talking to her, she kind of thinks, oh, well, he must be one of those types. But then as it unfolds to him and she begins to realize what this is, she had no idea that she had representation in him. But there was something in her when she saw it that reflected back to eternity. And though she looked like a harlot here, she had an eternal representation there. And when she saw it, it reflected back and she left her water pots. She left the natural things. She left the land of love. And she was coming as this, not the Christ. And Brother Branham says it this way. We know that when Messiah cometh, he will show us all things. And her question was, but who are you? That's how Brother Branham says it. The the, the woman at the well says, when we know the Messiah comes, he'll show us all things. But who are you? And he said, I am he that speaks to you. I am he. I am that very one that you're expecting. I'm the very one that you were waiting for. And Brother Branham says, what was her message now? She had a different message. She had a different testimony. She left that place. She left that experience and that encounter. And who he was quickened the revelation of who she was. Because he says, what was her message now? Now who is she? When it began, when the encounter began, he said that you've had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband. What was she? A woman of ill fame. But after the encounter, she's different. She wouldn't have had the boldness to run into the city and say, come see a man. She wouldn't have had the boldness to testify because she would have she she would have had it in her mind. Well, they're going to think this. They're going to think that. But it was real. It was genuine. The experience she had is stripped away the shame It stripped away the, the complexes. And she said, come see a man who told me all the things that I was done. Listen, don't if you have a past that you're ashamed of, then just bring Christ between you and your past. And they say, but you did this and you did that. But yes, that's what he redeemed me from. He knew that I did those things. He knew that I said those things. He knew I was sending those snakes. He knew I said those things. He knew I'd done those things in private. But he knew me when I was unlovable. But yet he loved me. He knew I had one step out of the message when I came to winter camp. But he got my attention. 
tense and he said, I don't care. I love you. Just bring him up. Come see a man. Come see a man that saved me. Come see a man that's washed me. Come see a man that's forgiven me. She's different now. She's not identified with her past anymore. She's not defined by her failures. She's quickened to new life. And now she has an identity in the man she met. Now, but you're a harlot. But he said. You've done this, but he said. Hallelujah. Her identity changed that day. Oh, young people, do you know who you are? I am he is the revelation of Jesus Christ and his bride. I am he. And when he reveals himself to you as the son of man, then your message changes. Brother Branham said through Luther, Wesley and Pentecost, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He's bringing us to this. Then he makes this statement. This is the progression. This is where you stand. You didn't come to a message that's a, a, the same message that's been to the church ages. You didn't come. You didn't come to a message that was going to be followed by a falling away. We didn't witness a falling away. We witnessed. We what we have witnessed is the revealing of Lot's wife, the ones that started out as an overcomer, but had to go back and get their hair cut. We haven't witnessed this, that. Didn't start another cycle. Because just as the shuck has fallen away, the bride's ascending. She's rising to translation. That was, that was a further vindication that the son of man has revealed himself when Lot's wife comes on the scene. Because Jesus said, after remember that in that day, so the son of man will be revealed. And he says in verse 32, remember Lot's wife, bride. To you to whom the son of man reveals himself, Lot's wife will likewise make herself known. And this is what you've come to. The progress and the evolution of the word of God. He says it's going to come from the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he says in one place, the baptism of the Holy Ghost makes way for the Holy Ghost itself. But this is it. To come down into perfection. Because he forms the wheat outside of the three stages. So the last step is perfection. And he says it this way. To go right on into the perfection of the Son of Man. And this is the definition and the reality of the perfection of the Son of Man. To go into the perfection of the Son of Man, that when husband and wife will be the same self persons, God will be so manifested into his bride till they'll be the same. They are one. The revelation of him is the revelation of you. When he says, I am, you say, I am. Who are you? I am. Who am I going to say sent me? I am. She said, who are you? He said, I am. Praise the Lord. That's why I like to say Elohim has become Elohim. As Brother Branham says, and it is the rising of the sun. And these things that we're going to come into here in a moment takes place in the morning. At the rising of the sun, Boaz is going to perform what she requires. Boaz is going to do what she needs. Going to do that part of redemption. 
Boaz is going to come and portray Christ at the rising of the sun in the morning. He said, when the sun comes up, at the rising of the sun, it's going to be the fullness of redemption. And Brother Bram says, and it is the rising of the sun as he, being the groom, the bride has to come forth because it's part of him. And it can only be the manifestation of the fulfilling of all the revelations any others has spoke of the bride. It can only manifest. If it does something different from the groom, it isn't the bride. Because she is flesh of his flesh. Bone of his bone. Life of his life. Power of his power. She is him. You don't have a distinct identity separate from him. You do not have an origin separate from him. In the beginning, when God took the woman from the man and he brought the woman to the man, he was doing that so she could identify who she was. Because there was nothing she had that he didn't give her. There was nothing of her own. Not one molecule, not one DNA strand, nothing, nothing, nothing that the woman had was not already in Adam before. And that's why Adam said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And he began to prophesy, for this cause shall man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife. For this cause, Christ has joined himself with you. This is the mystery of one flesh, Christ and his bride. She is him. And you know, it's remarkable if I could just say this. This is what the message is teaching us. And it's the truth. But then there's some that can become somewhat fearful. And when the bride begins to be put in her position, there's almost this reflex to defend Christ. And if they're not careful, they do exactly what Peter did in the garden. They'll actually draw their swords in defense of Christ, but actually be working against prophecy. They'll actually think that they're defending the message. We're standing up for Jesus Christ. We're going to defend Jesus Christ. He's the only way of salvation. It's only by his blood. And actually in doing so, deny the very purchase of the blood. To very deny the very reason why he died. He died to get a bride out of him. And here she is coming into view. And men are drawing their swords in defense of Christ. But they're actually denying the fulfillment of prophecy in this time. Brother Branham writes from the church age book. Chapter 3 of the church age book. The true church of Christ, the bride, is likened to pure gold. Her righteousness is his righteousness. Her attributes are his own glorious attributes. Her identity is found in him. What he is, she is to reflect. What he has, she is to manifest. There is no fault in her. Then there is no fault in you. Can't be. If there's no faults in her and you're part of her, then there is no fault in you. And you say, but, but like, he doesn't know what he's ta- you're talking about. God doesn't know. You say, but this, but that, no, no, no. 
you've changed. You're transformed. That, that one you're talking about, he's dead. She's dead. Who you are has come to be. And he says this. She is all glorious within and without. Listen, the glory of the man is the woman. The woman is the glory of the man. That's what we're taught in scripture. The woman is the glory of the man and the bride is the glory of the son of man. From the beginning to the ending, she is the work of her Lord and all his works are perfect. In fact, in her is summed up and manifested the eternal wisdom and purpose of God. If you're not careful, that almost sound like the Catholic Church. But yet here she is, the bride of Jesus Christ. In whom is summed up and manifested the eternal wisdom and purpose of God. How can one fathom it? How can one understand it? Though we cannot do that, we accept it by faith for God hath spoken it. And that's what we have to do. You young men are going to have to accept it by faith. No matter how weak you feel, how tempted you feel, no matter what your past is, how inadequate you feel. You have to accept by faith that you are his and you are the very representation of Jesus Christ on earth today. And all you young ladies and all you young people, you as hard as it is to understand, how can you understand it? How can you fathom it? You can't accept it by faith. This is what's transpiring after the threshing floor. Brother Branham says in the message, Christ is the mystery. I know Brother John would know this, Brother Tom would know this, the ministers here, Brother Ernie and Brother Michael and uh, Brother John, Manasseh, all the different ones that minister. Uh, I guess we have a couple of Brother Michaels that preach, and I don't know, it seems like every time I come, there's a new brother that's picking up the Word of God, and I love that. And they know I could actually pr- just read quotes for the next 24 hours that fall right in this vein about who she is, about the bride being the fullness and the fullness and the fullness. He says his church in Christ is the mystery God revealed. His church is himself revealed. Amen. Do you see it? And expressed by the word itself that he is God. And so he said he comes later on in paragraph 609. He goes identified. Oh, the devil is howling about this. The manifested truth of the promise of the word in her alone. See, he's not howling about the manifested truth of the promise of the word. That's not what he's howling about. He's not howling because the truth has been manifested. He's not howling because the seals have been opened. He's not howling at the manifestation of the promised word. But he's howling at the manifested truth of the promise of the word in her alone. It's where the word is being revealed. It's where Christ is. That's what he's howling about. But he says identified. Our identification is in headship. I'm going to borrow a, a, a story. A brother was sharing to me. My friend, I know you know him. He's a dear brother to you all too. Brother David Meyer, dear friend. Uh, if you're watching, woo uh, He was telling me he was preaching and he was preaching about identification. And he said, I pulled out my passport. And he said, if I'm asked for my identification, what do I show? And I was like, say no more. I got it. What would do you show when you do you show them a picture of your knee? What's on your passport? Is it the shoulder? It's headship. It's your face. What our identification has come. Headship has come. Our identity, who we are, it's been revealed. It goes identity, identified. The manifestation of the truth in her alone. 
He says, they don't have the answer. When Jesus come, they didn't. Why didn't those Pharisees? He said, if I cast out devils by the finger of God, why do you cast them out? He stood alone and his church stands alone. She is not hooked with nothing. But he was identified by God being the body that God dwelt in. That was the fullness of the Godhead bodily, right? Now listen to what he says. And his church stands alone. She is not hooked with nothing. But he was identified by God being the body that God dwelt in. And the church is identified by his body doing the same thing. She is his body. The manifested truth of his promised word for the last days. The message is not William Branham. William Branham preached the message and it revealed the manifested truth of the promised word in the bride body in the last days. It says, and she and she alone stands by it. That's why the devil is howling. It's because the gold you hold. It's because the seed that's in you. It's because he knew there was a prophecy that would come forth. That he would crush the head of the serpent. So he was always watching for the man to come. And he thought he had him. And then that man rose on the third day. And then he's thinking, well, what's next? A woman starts coming into formation. The bride, which is his body, begins to be revealed. It was a mystery hidden in the Old Testament. And then the messenger to the first church says, God will bruise Satan under your feet. Your feet. So Satan's always been looking for that woman to rise up. And here she is. And that's why he's howling. Young people, do you know why he hates you? Have you thought about this? If you have a worst enemy, who's your worst enemy? Yourself. Satan's worst enemy is you. And why he hates young people so much is you literally right now as teenagers, early, say 18 to 21 years old, you look right now exactly like that great group of people that are going to take Satan and cast him into the lake of fire. It's going to look like youth camp without adults. That's why I hate and say young people. Do you realize that eternity is an eternal youth camp? It's summer camp. It's not even 24-7 because it's just all the time. Because right now, if everyone can look here, it's going to be young men that look just like this. It's going to be these faces at these ages of 18 and 19 and 20. It's going to be faces just like this and these young girls just like that. They're going to say, Satan and all your demons and all your followers, get into the lake of fire. And it's people that look just like you that are going to send into his place. That's why he hates young people. That's why he fights against you like he does. It's because you look like the kingdom that's destroying him. That's why the devil is howling. That's why all these things have been working against you this while. It's not because of what you weren't. It's because of what you are. Nothing, nothing that has happened to you is proof that you are, you aren't his. Well, this wouldn't have happened if you were a son or daughter of God. Well, the very proof that it happened, I mean, the fact that it happened proves, I mean, I'm a son or daughter of God. So no matter what happens, doesn't change the the truth. That's why the devil is howling. And these great organizations to set up something to close her up. Every, everything that's happening 
is to get you to shut up, young people. To get you to let it go. Just drop it already, okay? Give up on these ideas that this is the truth. Give up on the idea of living a sanctified life. Give up on the idea of the token. Give up on all these things. He says it's all being set up to, to close her up. They'll never do it. She will be taken up, not closed up. And he says this, grab a hold of this in your hearts. She is now risen. And by the power of the vindicated word promised to her, you are now risen by the power of the vindicated word that's promised to you. Young people, you are now risen. The Lord himself has met you on that dusty road. He came and ran to you and found you. And you are now risen. He has brought you to yourself. Where was it? It was always in him. Where was I? You were in the I am. There's a statement where... You've probably heard it before. Brother Branham says this is in November of 1963 and go awake Jesus. And what have they not recognized? The awakening of the bride. And he says there's more to the ministry than divine healing. So what he's expressing is that his ministry was often identified with healing of the physical body. But he says there's more to my ministry than divine healing, healing the body. He says, the sickest body I know of tonight is the so-called body of Christ, body of Jesus Christ. It needs spiritual healing. Now, I have found growing up in the message, that's the only part of the quote I would hear. And what I begin to realize is men just use this to make the bride feel sick so they could be relevant. And telling you, you're the sickest body there is, so you need my explanation. You're the sickest body there is, so you need me to help you. And Brother Branham said there's more to his ministry than divine healing. And the sickest body he knew of was the so-called body of Jesus Christ. It needs spiritual healing. He says, and there's only one bomb that I know of that will heal, and that's the word. And that's the sick body that we want to stand up in the strength and the vitamin power of the gospel. And that's why I use much of the time now in trying to strengthen the church by the word. And I want to say the sickest body is no longer the bride of Jesus Christ. But she is now risen in the strength of the manifested word. She is not sick. She is well. She is not infirm. She is healthy. She's alive. Why? Because the son of righteousness has arisen with healing in his wings. And she has come forth. The full word is born into manifestation at the opening of the seals. She is now risen. You are risen. Young people, you've begun to rise. Whenever it started for you, you begin to rise. And in the message, how can I overcome Brother Bram says, you were born defeated, born into chaos. And that birth can never bring you to life because you're born defeated and you're in a defeated world amongst defeated people, amongst defeated creeds and defeated organization, denominations. Chaos. He says, you have to come to victory some way. How are you going to do it? Surrounded by defeat and darkness. 
He goes, it's just like a lily. Is there a lily listening? He says, where does it come from? It's a little seed down in the bottom of a muddy, mucky pond. And that little seed, yet all the radiance that will ever shine in it, is in it right then when it's in that mud. That's why when you were out there in the world and you came to a church service, the service didn't put anything in you. You weren't just driving along one day and saw something and the seed came in. It was always there. It was always there. In your worst moment, in your darkest times, when everything was falling apart, when all hell was breaking loose and there was all chaos around you, God had angels all around you. And there could be car accidents and sicknesses and and legal troubles and all sorts of things happen. And God was always like, wait. Why? Because that seed's got to come to birth. I'll not lose a one. They're all going to come to me. And God has had angels encamped about you. Why? Because he chose you before the foundation of the world. And he'll not let one of you fail. Not one of you will ever fail. Why? Because you are his garden. You are his vineyard. And he will keep you. And he will guard you. All the radiance that was ever in you has always been in you. He said, but it's black, it's dirty, it's mucky, it's slimy. And in that slime that it's living in, yet it presses its way through the mud, the muck, the waters, the stagnant places. You've come through all that, young people. This is the journey of your life until it sticks its head above in the light and expresses what's been hid in it all the time. God, he says, by his predestination, has brought this seed to life. And it's pressing itself, coming to light. And now on top of all that, it's overcome. It didn't express itself down there. You never saw who you were in the world. That's when you're pretending. That's when you're a hypocrite. That's when you're testifying to something you're not. Because you didn't express who you were in that condition. He says, but it's getting up to express itself. Neither did you and your sin and your adultery and everything that you lived in. You didn't express nothing. In other words, you hadn't been identified yet. But there was a seed in there. And it got a chance to press itself into light. Just like that woman at the well. Here she was in the mud and the muck. But when the light flashed before, now she said, come see a man who told me who I was. And now you're in the presence of Jesus Christ with the sunlight. It brought out what you really was in the beginning. See what I mean? You saw the light. You bloomed out. You laid your heart open. And now you're a lily. That's what you did this weekend, this past week. You laid your heart open. You come to your right mind when you bloomed out. Listen, lily. You may not see it now. Don't worry. You're going to bloom. I'm not worried about it. I left last night and I, I was so happy. Yeah. I've been so happy in every single one of these services yeah. because I'd much rather see a plant bloom than just a flash in a pan. I'd rather see a steady burning light than a firework. And I think we have steady burning lights. We're going to see it. You're going to the church is going to notice it. Families are going to experience it. And don't worry, you're going to bloom out. You're going to blossom because that seed has to be expressed. 
And Brother Brown, when he preaches that evening in perfect faith, he says, God come down in the muck and what you were and sought you out and brought you out. He goes, look at what you was. Look at what you are. He goes, what did that? Somebody that loved you. Can't you do it, young people? Just rest in his elective love. Don't keep saying to yourself, well, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to. All you've got to do is just let him. Just let him do it. You don't have one thing to do when you leave here today, but trust him. Don't make any promises. Don't make any covenants. Just say, Lord, I'm trusting you every step of the way. Lord, I'm believing you. Lord, I'm resting on you. Who did that? Somebody that loves you. Brother Branham said he caught me when I was nothing. I'm still nothing, but I'm in his hand. He loved me when I was unlovable. He loved you when you were unlovable, but he changed you. He so loved me till he stooped down to get me and pick me up. And that gives me confidence, he said, that he wants to use me. He's got a purpose in doing it. He's seen something in me. He's seen something in you. He had a reason to save you. Look at the unsaved people today. Look at the millions. He could have took beside you, but he took you. He says, and no one can take your place. You're in God's economy. No one can do it. That's his love to you. How many women could have Boaz had? But there was something supernatural drawing them together. One of the writers said of it, for thy sake, women sought after men. I've even heard your pastor, Brother Bisco, use this before. Tamar desired him that was widowed. And Ruth loved a man that was old. Yea, that Rahab, that led men captive, was captivated by thee. Ruth lay down by a man in the threshing floor for thy sake. Her love made her bold for thy sake. And the writer's writing about Christ. But who's in him for your sake? For your sake. This story is portraying to us so that you can understand who you are. Don't worry, you're going to bloom. Brother Branham says in the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And listen to me, there's one scripture to me that describes the Acts of the Holy Ghost and the book of Acts very succinctly and perfectly. And the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. That's another book of Acts. Don't try to write anything else because anything else can be impersonated. The bride's book of Acts is the word of God grows mightily and prevails. It'll prevail in healing. It'll prevail in worship. It'll prevail in holiness. It'll prevail in everything. The word will prevail. He says in the message, Acts of the Holy Spirit. And we... Are saved not by works. What we do. I apologize. I was so sick when I got to the pulpit. I have no idea when I started. Um, I, I, I don't mean to offend anybody. But I left the, I left the pulpit because I was nauseous. And uh, you all had me so nervous today. I was getting sick to my stomach. And uh, I felt really good while preaching. So thank you. 
And because of that, I have no idea when I started. I have no idea when I'm going to stop. You just let me know when I'm finished. <laughs> Brother Brown says, we're not saved by works or what we do. It ain't what I've done that saved me. It's what Christ done that saved me. I have no holiness. If I had to try to say, well, I quit drinking, I quit smoking, I quit stealing, lying, so forth. That's what I'd done. That would be my own. I'd have something to brag about. Young people, you only have one thing to brag about. That's him. When you leave here, you don't tell one person, I quit this, I quit that. You don't tell your parents, well, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop doing that. You testify of him. He says, I have something to, he said, I'd have something to brag out. But I didn't quit nothing. He just come to me and took it out of me. That's it. Then it ain't what I done. It's what he done. That's what we're trusting to, what he did. Listen, it's, it, it, you don't get it in your mind. You're going to be able to explain this. You're going to be debated. The devil's going to meet you with psychology, interpretations, going to meet with you defenses, try to work all a bunch of stuff. But what you've got to look at is the light, the seed. The one thing that they can't take away from you is that which God gave you. And so if you're resting on your own works and you want to brag, God's going to test you. But he said, then it ain't what I've done. It's what he done. And then the Holy Spirit then abides in and grows daily. Just grows. So young people, if you've come to a birth this weekend, you're going to mature. And you'll make mistakes. And and a lot of times what happens with a genuine experience, there's a lot of zeal and no wisdom. So counselors, parents, have a little patience. If that legalist comes home and wants to start doing this or start doing that, rejoice with them a little bit. Maybe go along with the prayer meetings and the devotions and the, and the laying on of hands and those things and, and, and whatever it might be. And they walk in, Satan, I rebuke you! I rebuke you! You know, just kind of encourage them in their zeal and, and demonstrate some wisdom as well. I had, I had brother Sammy Kinzer told me one time, brother Darren is a pastor in Virginia and Tennessee. Uh, that guy's got a load. And uh, it was his dad, Brother Sam, that told me when I first met him, he said, Brother Aaron, don't ever let any old man put your fire out. I'm so glad he told me that because I don't know how many men I've met with fire extinguishers. Like, oh, you think you got a revelation? (laughs) It was the the empty chair. Now, do it over here. Sorry. That's exactly why you've had men pull their fire extinguisher on you. Right? They've done it. Why? Because you start talking about revelation. Oh, well, we caught that in 81. And oh, we preached that then. And oh, we preached that then. Well, good. I'm glad I've caught up. Don't let any, anybody take away your fire. Oh, that's been preached. Oh, that's been done. Not for me. This is new. This is real. This is reality. Rejoice with me in my revelation. Don't try to put my fire out. Give me something to feed my fire. Somebody tries to put your fire out. Say, listen, listen, just give me gold. Just give me more wood. Because if you've got the real genuine thing. There's no amount of word that can ever be added to your faith to turn it into fanaticism. If you had gold, Brother Tom, if you had gold, if you had gold, and I had more gold, there I could not ever give you so much gold to ever turn the real gold into fool's gold. 
If you've got gold, you can never come to a place to where gold keeps being added to gold that ever would turn the gold into fool's gold. And young people, if you've got faith, if you've got a fire that's burning, there's no amount of word that can ever be added to your faith to turn your faith into fanaticism. There's no amount of fire that can be added to that fire that's ever going to turn it into something out of order. Why? Because it's a fire that's been put there by God. And no breezes of hell can ever blow it out. So he says the Holy Spirit abides in and grows daily. It just grows, making itself greater and greater. And notice, this is after the Holy Spirit's abiding, and it pushes out things. This is the process you're yielding yourself to. Don't expect to go home and be impervious to temptation. Because the very first time you be, it begins to signal a weakness, so you find yourself struggling in wrestling, that's the very moment the devil says, Aha! And what I want you to do, the next moment that he says, Aha! You say, Aha! I didn't fight before. I used to just do it at the unction. But now something in me is fighting. And you just fight the devil with what God gave you. Because he says it pushes out things, the cares, the temptation. As you overcome them, the Holy Spirit takes its place. Do you know that? He says, do you know what? If you got a real bad temptation of something that's not right. Overcome that thing a few times and watch if your testimony doesn't bloom on account of it. Oh, praise the Lord. You're, you're actually going to be able to turn a testimony, a, a temptation into a testimony. Think about it. Don't let the temptation bother you. If there's a temptation, say, awesome, testimony's coming. With temptation, he even says a real bad temptation of something that's not right. Overcome that thing a few times. That means maybe you're struggling and really wrestling, but then start overcoming it. And your testimony will bloom on account of overcoming the temptation. So look at every temptation as being pregnant with a testimony. Just look at it that way. Say, oh, my goodness, temptation. I know what's inside of you. Testimony. I know that in you, when temptation comes, I'm going to make you stumble. I'm going to make you fall. Say, hold on, wait, temptation, because I know scripturally that God will, with the temptation, make a way of escape. So I know in you is a way out. God has already provided a way out. Don't let the temptation discourage you. Let the promise of a testimony encourage you. If you're suffering, if you're in pain, if you're heartbroken... Know that suffering is pregnant with promise. That suffering is pregnant with glory. Because he has promised you that glory comes from suffering. So in your worst days, in your hardest moments, and your most difficult trials, in broken homes or broken hearts, whatever it might be, know that even in this suffering, there's glory! Watch if your testimony doesn't bloom on account of it. What takes place in the book of Ruth is so extraordinary. And I want to, I want to tell you very quickly what's transpiring in Ruth chapter 4 before I end in Ruth chapter 3. Because at the same time Boaz is doing something, Ruth is speaking. 
It tells us that Boaz came to the gates of the city in the presence of ten elders. And it's a scene just like it was in Revelations 5. And the near kinsman actually says, I cannot redeem it for myself. So no one was found worthy but Boaz. Eligible, willing, and able to redeem. And he actually takes off his shoe. And what does he now do? He brings the figure of Genesis 3.15 into view. Thou shalt bruise his heel, but his foot's going to crush his head. And he says, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Mahlon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren, from the gate of his place, your witnesses this day. And in the story, it shows Ruth chapter 4, that Boaz takes Ruth to be his wife. And why Boaz is there taking the book, as it were, releasing this fullness of redemption. Ruth comes to Naomi. And when she sees her. And I'm closing here. When she came to her mother-in-law, her mother-in-law asked her, who are you? And earlier when Ruth was asked, earlier in the same chapter when she first came at midnight now, as a new day is dawning, a new day entering to this new day and the sun is going to be rising. Earlier when she was asked who she was, she said, I am Ruth, which in the Hebrew means friendship. And there's a reason why Brother Branham came and started using a difference in terminology from church to bride. Because relationship changes. But now that Ruth has full redemption opened up to her by Boaz, now her answer is different. Because she's holding in her heart this morning as she's telling, talking to Boaz. She knows what he's doing. Because he told her what he's going to do. So now I want you to catch this. I'm closing on this. Are you listening? I asked our church here recently, I said, is everybody listening? And nobody said a word. And then it dawned on me. I asked if everybody was listening. And nobody could answer for everybody. So nobody said anything. So I said, are you listening? And everybody said, amen. So are you listening? And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, who art thou, my daughter? Who are you, young people? And listen to her answer, how profound this is. Earlier, she said, when asked, who are you? And her identity was always Ruth the Moabitess, Ruth the Moabitess, Ruth thy servant, Ruth the friend. But now, she says, who are you? And she told her all that the man had done to her. Notice how different her answer is now. She said, who are you? She didn't say, well, I'm Ruth. I'm the Moabitess. I'm the widow. I'm the handmaid. No, something had been revealed to her. She knew what her Boaz had done. It was transpiring. He had come forth in the presence of witnesses. And he had prevailed to take the book. 
And so now her answer is different. She has the revelation of Ruth chapter 4. You have the revelation of Revelation 5. And now your answer, who are you? Your answer is, I am what he's done for me. Ruth's answer was, I am what he's done for me. Her identity was in him, what he had done for her. Let your answer be, who are you? I am what he's done for me. That's what I am. Who are you? I am what he's done for me. I am redeemed. I am healed. I am married. I am restored. I am delivered. Who are you? I am what he's done for me. I'm not Ruth the Moabitess anymore. I'm not divorced. I'm married. This is what I am. Let that be your answer today. I am. What, who are you? I'm going to ask. Anybody have an answer? Who are you? I am. Who are you, Ruth? And the same old Ruth would have said, well, I'm a, I'm a servant. I'm a Moabitess. I'm a widow. But she'd met Boaz. But just not as the Lord of the harvest. But now it's her husband. Now it's her redeemer. Now she's so identified with him and she's testifying what Naomi doesn't even know is transpiring. Nobody else knows. It's now Ruth's secret. And not even when it's transpiring did the near kinsman under the near even understand what was happening. Land? I'll take some land. That sounds pretty good. I could always use more land. And Boaz is kind of like, yeah, but you know, if you get land, Ruth kind of comes with it. The other guy's like, ooh, yeah, I don't know about this. I don't want to mar my inheritance. And Boaz is probably going, yeah, I understand. So you don't want it? He's like, nah, I don't want it. Do you want it? He's like, yes, 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 I want it. And he goes, yeah, it's good land. No, no, I'm not worried about the land. I want Ruth. Why? Because after that, you never hear about the land. It never says that he made a bunch of money on the land. He did this barley and he did this grain. He did that. No, it just says he went to Ruth and took her and she conceived. Why? He's always wanted you. That's what he's always wanted. He's always wanted you. And rejoice, young people, because now he has you. He has what he's always wanted. So now, who are you? I am his. I am what he's done for me. I am what he's done for me. Hallelujah. And let me leave you with this. Then Naomi says, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall, for that man will not rest until he have finished the thing this day. This day, what day? This day. He's going to finish it. He's going to finish. Don't fret. Don't worry. If God's going to save you now, he's going to speak to you like he has in his last few services. He's going to do all the things he's done. Don't worry. You're not going to hit those doors and be on your own. Who are you? I am what he's done for me. I am what he's done for me. And he will not rest until he's finished it. He will not rest. 
He will not rest. He will not slumber or sleep. The Lord that keepeth thee. He's going to be about you. He's going to speak to you. If you wonder, if you stray, it doesn't matter to me. I have boldness to say this to you young people. I am not worried about you. I'm not worried about what will be except that you would just bring yourself harm and scars and deep hurts. But he loves you and he will rescue you from the deepest pit and he will pursue you and he will pursue you and he will pursue you. And if he didn't get you today, he's going to get you someday because he will not rest. And he's finished in this day, this day, it's this day. At that day ye shall know. What day? This day. That I and you and you and me. When the revelation is made known. And he will not rest until he has that union with you. So I will testify. If you leave and he doesn't have you. I'm going to wait until he gets you. Because we're not going anywhere until he does. We will not leave a one of you behind. We will not threaten you. We will not give up on you. But we are going to be with you. Pray for you. And you will come to this. Because you didn't just meet a man this weekend. I don't care where you are in the story. You're coming to a threshing floor. And you've come to your Boaz. I am. I am. What he's done for me. Let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say I am rich. Let the blind say, I can see what the Lord has done in me. Sing it again. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Let the blind say, I can see what the Lord has done. Sing it again. Oh, let the weak. Come on, say it. Say I'm strong. Come on. Let the poor say I am rich. Let the blind say I can see. Let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say I am rich. Let the blind say I can see what the Lord has done. Sing it again. Oh, let the weak say I am strong.
unto the river I will wait there my sins are washed away from the river mercy streams of my Savior's love for me and I will rise from waters deep into the saving arms of God I will sing redemption and song oh Jesus Christ has set me free oh Hosanna yes sing it brother Tommy sing it with all your heart to the lamb that was slain
for me. and honor and power and glory. Blessing and honor and power and glory. Oh, hallelujah. Our gracious heavenly Father. Lord, we we thank you for what you've done for us. And our prayer is a prayer of thanksgiving. We're not asking for anything, Lord. We're thanking you for what you've done for us. We're thanking you. We thank you for what you've done, Lord. It's finished. It's done. It's accomplished. And who I am is what you've done for me. I am healed. I am saved. I am delivered. I am sealed. I am. I am. I am. I am that I am. I am you. And we thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you for these young people. We thank you, Father, for the great love that you have for us. We just say that we love you. Thank you. We love you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. To the land that was slain. Hosanna. Hosanna. Jesus died. have the young people sing it. I want to hear it come from this group. Sing it, young people. Give them praise. Let's all join together one more time. Hosanna.
His home. 